We like to define ourselves in society as good people. We are always comparing ourselves to others to determine how good we are. But how do we define good? And is it possible to be a good person without God? So, Christina, tell me from your perspective, like, what is a good person? Well, you know, like, I feel like I'm good because I don't murder people. I don't steal. I don't shoplift. I don't like cheat on you. So <laughs> I think I'm, I'm good. You know, everyone knows that there's right and wrong. And so I can be a good person without needing a God. How do you define what's right and wrong? Well, I define what's right and wrong based on, well, the culture I grew up in, you know, the culture and the laws that are given are, I think are good. They're, mm -hmm. they're positive. And so, and I follow these laws in the culture I live in, I am, I'm a good citizen. Okay. So what about Nazi Germany? That is a good question. <laughs> I mean, so in, in Nazi Germany, I'm trying to say they had their laws, they had their moral standard and their moral standard for a time. Germany had it that it was legal to throw certain minority groups in gas mm -hmm. chambers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if we are going to determine what is good and evil based off society, as you and many other people have said, uh, how will that work with a case like that? Mm. Well, first of all, I personally don't have an answer to that because I think this is an issue that is avoided in these questions. When we rely on our culture as being the standard what if we're faced with a culture that is sort of below standard? <laughs> and are we allowed to even then point the finger right. at a different culture? Right. I mean, the phrase of find your own truth, you know, find your own truth, find out what is good for you, what makes sense to you, what jives with your experience and passions and, you know, what's, what's your truth? Mm -hmm. Truth is relative is what mm -hmm. we're told or what we've been told to believe. But the question I would have for that is, so the very nature of truth is that for something to be true, something else must not be true. For there to be truth, there must be untruth. It can't be that everyone is true and everyone has their own truth and that's all fine because then it's no longer true, it's just opinion. It's like in science when you have something that is being researched, if it is ever-changing and ever, uh, um, yeah, warping and changing with the time and Not concrete. Yeah, exactly. If it's not concrete, it's not considered a fact. It's considered a hypothesis, maybe a theory, maybe an observation, but it's not concrete fact because it is ever-changing. Yeah, and even within a society, its laws will have radical changes over generations. If a generation does not get a concrete agreement, at least to some extent on what truth is, because mm -hmm. if, like you said, truth can shift like the wind, like my opinion versus yours, or the majority opinion wins, basically, 
then what will end up happening is that we will have entire drastic shifts of that over time. And there will be never a time when we can actually sit down and say, here, it is always and forever true. Right. Now you can say, well, we as human beings, for the most part, we know what's right and wrong. Like I can be a good moral person without needing uh, this God. Mm -hmm. I can know that murder is wrong. I can know that like, Mm -hmm. rape is wrong that goes without saying right i know it's wrong so i'm sure everyone else knows it's wrong too that's basic or something as disgusting as bestiality i know that is disgusting and wrong so of course it's you know I, it's wrong right but now the question is asked okay according to who according to you but what about ancient greece ancient rome the very gods they worshipped was founded on rape and bestiality. And if you worship a God that committed rape many times over, and that, by the way, is Zeus, and bestiality, well, of course, if it's okay for your gods, it's naturally okay for you, which means it is now considered not even just okay, it's even considered good. But now we get to the question of, so what is good? Is there a standard above culture? Right, and it brings us back to Nazi Germany, because mm -hmm. there are they had their standards and it was very different from the western world at the mm -hmm. at that time the rest of the western world and when they came to the trials of convicting these nazi officers and so forth this was something that the german lawyers brought up is how who are you to judge us to judge our country's laws to judge us based off your society and how you want to do things. In fact, uh, today there are wars going on in the world and and we may very well want to point the finger and say, how dare they do it this and that way? But if we do not have a standard of truth that is above us, then how could we ever really point a finger besides to say that they just have a different perspective? See, it is what happened in the trials, in those Nazi trials, was that the Western, the American lawyers came and said, well, there's a, a law above the law that shows us all that what you guys have done is evil. And that law above the law is not a law that's inscribed in a constitution. It's not a law on, on some government's books. It's the law above all of that, the law of God, the law that has been placed at least somewhat inside the hearts of all of us, where we have a degree at least of wanting to do what is right. However, that if we have not made it a concrete, never ending, never changing truth, we will shift and transgress, make excuses for and change as we deem fit, as long as it is going to allow us to fulfill our desires. Right, and that's the key. The key is, is that having a standard above other standards, having a law above all the laws, the only reason why that works is because it's not a standard that we created. Mm. 
Because the laws and standards that we have for our own life, the things that we deem permissible, good, okay, or the things that we see as bad are subject to change based on if it profits us. You know, for much of your life, you can believe that cheating on a spouse is a thing you would never do. That's that's bad, that's not good. But then if you are a law unto yourself and you get to decide what is good in the end, if it profits you, well, if it profits you in a moment where, you know what, it profits you to cheat on your spouse, to cheat on your boyfriend, girlfriend, to cheat on your fiance, it doesn't matter, whatever that might be for you, if it profits you, then it's now deemed okay. But is this standard something that is considered good or only good for you? Yeah, and I think that what we have to realize that even applying simply the standards of our culture, which are much lower, than this the, the standard that we are talking about and we're about to talk about more here even looking at culture standard we are still all very guilty you know if i ask you i ask myself i ask you who's listening have you lied before in your life have you ever taken something that's not yours have you ever uh, done anything right have you hated someone had really nasty evil thoughts about someone before whatever it is we're all guilty to an extent and so what we are about and what we're talking about here is that there is a law above the law that is even higher that is a concrete law that is comes from god and that law calls us to a standard that is so high and we are not even able to meet that standard. You see, God, Yeshua, Jesus, didn't come even to us and just said, well, here's the law, here's my law, here's my concrete, also known as the Torah, my law, my statutes, follow them. He, he did that, but he didn't just say, follow them and all will be well. He recognized our inability to follow them. He recognized that we, even if we say we will, we will fail because that speaks to the fallen sin nature that e every one of us have. It speaks to the, mere, the very existence of God and, the re and it points to the reason why the God of Christianity, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, is the one true God, because no other religion has solved this problem. The problem of man's fallenness, the problem of our inability to do what is right, even if we knew what was right. But sometimes, even well, all the time, even if we know what is right, we fail to do even that. And so what God did is he came and he made a sacrifice died in our place because the wages of sin is death. The wages of lawlessness, of being without law, of breaking the laws is death. We die because of that. And we are separated from God because of that, because he is holy, fully lawful, always law keeping, perfect. And so ultimately we see now that God comes and he reconciles us back to him because he has made a plan to do so by taking the wages of sin upon his shoulders, dying in, the, in our place. We deserved it, but he fulfilled it. And that's why 
this is the God we ought to look to because he can then empower us to actually look more like him and yet be saved to be in relationship with him at the same time. And no other religion can provide that. And that's the beauty of the God of creation, the God of Israel, who sent his son, Jesus, Yeshua, to take the punishment that we do deserve for everything that we've done with ill intention, with good intention, that has broken the law above the law, that has broken his righteous and holy standards, where we've thought more of ourselves instead of others, where we've made ourselves a God instead of recognizing the God of all. Mm. And I think it's important to to recognize that, you know, we're not saying that other religions or other faiths don't have their own laws because many of them do, of course. However, the problem is, is that they teach the way to their God, the way to be getting face to face with their God and to be in perfect relationship to enter paradise or whatever you want to mm. call that is by reliance on one's own works on, on, as one being a good person. My good works outweighing my bad works or something of that nature. Right. And the question, though, is, is can you ever be good enough mm. to earn a seat in paradise, to earn salvation? And that's why in... Because the standard is a perfect and holy God. Right. And that's why you have in so many religions, there are people who in Buddhists become monks because that's the hope that maybe if I do this, it will mean I'm finally good enough to have earned the right to enter paradise. Or even in Islam, the highest level of Islam to guarantee access to their form of paradise is maybe doing jihad. There is this aspect of what I have to do, my work that will save mm. me in the end, if I can be good enough, if only. But even in simple terms, right, if I stood before a judge and, and, I, and the judge told me what I did wrong, I, let's just say I murdered someone, and I say, well, judge, I, I did a lot of good stuff. Like I, you know, I helped ladies across the street and I gave a lot of money to the poor. And I, the judge will say, well, that's not relevant because ultimately you need to pay for what you did in this crime. So ultimately, in the same way, we can't be like, well, I did a lot of good. The thing is, is that if you broke one law, you've broken them all to an extent. It's when you're talking about being justified um, in front of a perfect holy God, because his standard is so high that the least of your sins, the, the smallest lawlessness, the smallest mistake you've ever made before him is big enough to separate you from him forever because of his holy standard. And so it would be like, well, you broke a big one, you broke a small one. It doesn't matter. The same consequence will apply. And so therefore, if we try and depend on ourselves, do more good than bad, we will inevitably fail if our God is one worth worshiping. Because I don't know about you, but it's not really worth worshiping a God if he's just as evil in the heart as I have been at times in my life. If he has the same actions and the same thoughts, is he really a God in the first place? Is he really much different from me? Is he even worth worshiping? No, God by nature is holy, perfect, righteous. There's no evil near him. And so therefore he becomes worth worshiping. And so I have to be so like him in perfection and that perfection can only be attained by taking a hold of the plan of salvation that he has made away for me. 
And so the one and only way that we can be saved is by believing in Jesus, by believing in Yeshua, the Messiah who has come for the world, the son of God who has come to die for our sins. And so if that's you today, if you're someone who desires to know him, to actually be in a relationship with him, to have your sins wiped clean, to be restored back to being made in his full image, then you can come and start that relationship with him by asking him to come and change your life by repenting of your sins and the transgressions and the evils that you have done and by pursuing him with everything that you have. And he will bless you in that. That the God of creation who sent his son, Jesus, he loves you so much and he has called you for a powerful and a beautiful purpose. And he has plans for you that he desires you to walk in that will bless you. And the only thing you need to do is simply say, God, I surrender everything I've held on to. Father, the, the hurts, the pains, God, heal me from that. And I give my life to you. I choose to follow you and let him show you everything he desires to do through you and in you. If you're someone who in your heart, you're deciding that you want to follow this Messiah, please reach out to mm -hmm. us. Visit riseonfire.com and we would love to help you along that journey. If you want to see more videos just like this one, like this video, subscribe to this channel and we'll see you guys in the next video. Shalom. Shalom.